0: This morning, God's Word comes to us from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. We're going to read just the verses 5 through 11 of this chapter. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5 we hear now is God's word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. to the glory of God the Father. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 861 in the back section. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, one of the doctrinal standards of our church, and this morning we read Article 19. From page 861, Article 19, entitled, The Two Natures of Christ. We believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature. In such a way that there are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature. It has a beginning of days. It is of a finite nature and retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so united together in one person that they are not even separated by his death. So then, what he committed to his father when he died was a real human spirit, which left his body. But meanwhile, his divine nature remained united with his human nature, even when he was lying in the grave. And his deity never ceased to be in him, just as it was in him when he was a little child, though for a while it did not show itself as such. These are the reasons why we confess him to be true God and true man. True God, in order to conquer death by his power, and true man, that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. This is our confession of faith. Well, we are in that section of the Belgic Confession dealing with the second person of the Trinity. We began that last week. Uh, Who he is and what he does for us. Last week we talked about the incarnation. The fact that the second person of the Trinity came down was born of a virgin and took took flesh upon himself. He was both son of God and son of his greater father, David. This morning we read an article from the Belgic Confession which I I have to confess uh, certainly is probably one of the more theological articles of the confession, dealing with the two natures of the Son of God. But kids, really, what we're going to talk about this morning is summarized in that last uh, sentence there. We confess Jesus to be true God and true man. That's what we're talking about this morning. We confess Jesus to be true God and true man. The two natures of Christ. He had a divine nature. He was truly God. He had a human nature. He was truly man. And, and he had to be both. He had to be both of these to, to be qualified to be the Savior of his people. If we overemphasize the deity of Jesus Christ and say that he only appeared to be human, we lose our Savior. If we overemphasize the humanity of Jesus Christ and forget that he also was true God, we lose our Savior. No, Jesus came truly, truly, God, truly man. And this perfectly qualified him for the work God had given him to do. We looked this morning at Philippians chapter 2. Now we looked at this text, it was about six months ago or so in our evening series on the book of Philippians. At that time, we focused really on what Paul's argument in Philippians chapter 2. You might remember that Paul is talking to the church how they are to be unified with each other, how they are to consider others better than them. They are to humble themselves before their brothers and sisters. In the context of that argument, Paul gives uh, almost something of a parenthesis, this example. This This is the example that Paul is trying to make. Look, you need to be Willing to humble yourself, and and your example of that is Jesus Christ. Uh, This morning, we're not going to talk so much about the rest of what Paul is talking about here, but focus just on the example that he gives the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, that he was truly God and that he was truly man. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Paul is going to highlight Jesus' divinity. He was in the form, the idea here is, he was in his very essence, true God. To remind them, to remind us, that Jesus has always been God. He is eternal God. We, We are such creatures of time. It's hard for us to begin to imagine eternity. Oh, maybe as we think to the future, we can think of a future that is unending before us. But when we consider eternity past... That Jesus always has been. There was never a time he was not. God has always existed in eternity. Something which our minds can't begin to grasp, but which is of God's very nature. He is eternal. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has always been. He was there with God at the creation of the world. We read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A reference to Jesus Christ, the Word. He was there in the beginning. Eternal God. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus did not Become the Son of God at His incarnation. It's easy for us to think that, you know, when He came and was born of the Virgin Mary, talked about that last week, that that was the point He became God's Son. No, He has always been the Son. He has always been the second person of the Trinity. He always has been and continues to be true and eternal God. Who, though he was in the form of God, the essence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And and this verse has caused some to suggest uh, that Jesus somehow wasn't equal with God. He wasn't truly God. He wasn't eternal God. Because it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped as if it was a thing to be reached out for and taken. That's not what Paul means here. In fact, he is highlighting Jesus' equality perfectly divine as God the Father is. When he says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, perhaps a better way of understanding it, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, that sense of grasping. He did not count his equality with God a thing to be held on to. He already had it, he didn't have to reach out and get it. But he had full divinity. And he did not consider that a thing to be be jealously held on to. But he was willing to submit himself to the will of his Father. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, but emptied himself. Jesus, in submission to his Father, empties himself. Of course, that brings up the question of what did he empty himself? Again, some would suggest he emptied himself of his divinity, and he became only human. He was no longer truly God. He emptied himself of his divinity and came down to earth. That is not what Paul's talking about here. Some suggest that, that while holding on to his divinity, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. So he no longer was powerful like God is. But you know that's not the case. Think of the miracles Jesus did, children. Think of the power he had, power to feed the multitudes, power to heal the sick, power to raise the dead. He did not empty himself of any of his power. Perhaps he emptied himself of his omniscience. No, Jesus knew all things. He didn't have to commend himself to any man because he knew all men. He did not empty himself of his divinity. He did not empty himself of his divine attributes. The text tells us what this means. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus empties himself by taking something to himself. He empties himself by taking on the form of a servant. He was willing to give up the glory and the majesty of his eternal dwelling in heaven with God the Father and God the Spirit and was willing to take on to himself the form of a servant. He came down from heaven, not setting aside his divinity, not setting aside anything but taking to himself the form and the work of a servant. The servant we read about in Isaiah 53 earlier in this service. Jesus takes to himself a servant nature. He remains, he is true and eternal God, but he empties himself taking the form of a servant being born we read being born in the likeness of man he is born in the likeness of man and being found in human form again some have have tried to twist this text to make it say less than it does about christ they say he was found in the form of man in the likeness of man well we use that word likeness something looks like something, we use that word likeness really in two different opposite ways. Sometimes we say something looks like something but we know it's not. Kids, if you've ever watched a magician, I like watching magicians. One of my former colleagues, his hobby was magic. If you you ever watched a magician, they'll take something simple like their handkerchief and they'll they'll put it in their hand and out comes a dove. And you say, you know, it looks like that handkerchief became a dove. It looks like it. Now, we know it didn't, okay? We know the handkerchief did not become a dove, but it looks like it. Even though we know it's not, it looks that way. It looks like it. That's how we use the word it looks like, or it's a likeness. It's a likeness of becoming a dove. Sometimes we use that phrase because we know it has not taken place, but sometimes we say it looks like it because it absolutely is that way. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we... Uh, after church, see some of the, of the children you know, around the church, and, and, and we have, sometimes have a hard time keeping track whose kids are whose, and we see one and we say, oh, no, no, I know who that is. He looks just like his dad. He looks like, he looks like, a, like a freeman. Because he is one. Because he is one. We say it looks like it because it is that way. That's what... Paul is saying here being born in the likeness of man because he was a man being found in human form because he was human he he retained his divinity but he he took to himself not just what appeared to be humanity he really became human Became like us. And the text says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself by taking on this humanity. His life was a life of humiliation. You know, sometimes we look at society around us, we see the sin that is rampant, and and it is a frustration, And, 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 and we get disgusted at what we see on the news, what we see going on in the world. We are fallen, sinful creatures, and we have that reaction to the world around us. Jesus Christ was perfect, was righteous, was holy. We can't begin to imagine His reaction to the world in which He had to live. He came down from heaven and He humbled Himself. A perfect, righteous God-man living among fallen Sinful creatures. This was the nature of his humiliation. To take on humanity and to live in a fallen, sinful world. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. His humiliation was not only in his life, it was also in his death. Kids, Jesus didn't die of old age. He didn't live for 50, 60, 70, 80 some years, 90 years, and then, you know, just kind of fall asleep and die. He didn't live to old age. In the midst of his life, at 30-some years, he died a death, a, a, a cruel death. He was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Crucifixion was the most cruel, inhumane death possible. It was physically excruciating. It was emotionally excruciating. It was a terrible death to die. And Jesus, in the prime of his life, undergoes death, even death, on the cross. Notice where our text says, he became obedient to the point of death. Jesus is the only one for whom death is obedience. For us, death is the just consequence of our sin. The soul that sins shall die. For us, death is the just consequence. For Jesus, it was the extent of his obedience. Being willing to go all the way to death. And this he did for us. He did that we might know life in him. His humiliation, the extent of his obedience, all of this for us. This is why he was human. That he might suffer for the sins of mankind. That he might suffer for your sin, for my sin. He was true and eternal God in the form of God, absolutely God, and he took on a human nature, a truly, really true human nature, and really became man. And all of this, that he might bring glory to God. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus comes to do the will of His Father to bring glory to His Father. And as Jesus comes and does His work, as He takes sin upon Himself, as He goes to the cross, it is to highlight the glory of God the Father. It is to highlight His justice and His mercy. That He is a God who does punish sin. And that He is a God who is merciful to each and every one of His own. The work of Jesus Christ highlights the wrath and the love of God. God's terrible anger toward a fallen, sinful creature. And yet God's great love bestowed on those who are found in Him. Jesus' work highlights the Father's perfect plan of salvation. That in the fullness of time, when he was ready, he would send Jesus Christ to be the redeemer of his people. Jesus was the God-man to the glory of God the Father. And, And God the Father exalts the Son. Again from verse nine, therefore God has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted him. Jesus Christ would go to death on the cross, a crucifixion, a sign of the curse of God, but that would not be the end for him. Jesus Christ on that third day would be raised again from the dead. He would be exalted in his resurrection. He would now live among his people for 40 days. He would be exalted in his ascension as he was returned back to the Father once again, enjoying that inter-Trinitarian fellowship once again in heaven. Jesus Christ is exalted because he comes to do the work of the Father and completes it perfectly. And that same Jesus Christ right now reigns from heaven, right now reigning as King of kings, and as Lord of lords. He is exalted and he has given a name. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. What is that name, kids? What is the name of Jesus' exaltation? What does our text say? Our text says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The name he was given in his exaltation was not the name Jesus. That was the name of his incarnation. That was the name of his humiliation. Again, maybe a a little looser but more understandable translation that at the name that belonged to Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the name. That is the title he is given. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that glorious truth. Jesus Christ is Lord and reigns right now over all creation. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. For those who know Jesus Christ, for those who are found in Him, they will do so with joy. They will rejoice to declare Jesus Christ Lord and King over all things. For those who are not in Him, they too will be forced to acknowledge, cringing before Him, that he is who he said he was. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. They will be forced to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the God-Man, truly divine, truly human. Have you embraced this Jesus Christ, this perfect Savior? Have, Have you recognized him not only as Jesus, God saves your Savior. But have you recognized Him as Lord, your King, your ruler? Oh, we love Jesus Christ as Savior. We love the fact that He takes away our sins, He washes us, He cleanses us. But to declare Him as Lord means He is our ruler. He determines how we live. He determines what we do. He determines our priorities. He is the one in charge. And we don't like to give that up. We like to place ourselves on the throne. Oh, Jesus, you're wonderful as a Savior. You take away my sins, you give me an eternity with God, but I want to sit on the throne. No, we are to recognize Him, not only as Jesus, but also as Lord, not only in His humiliation but also in his exaltation. That's the call of the gospel again today. Recognize this Lord Jesus Christ. Know what he has done. That he has humbled himself, even though he was God, he has humbled himself to take away the sins of all of his people. And if you embrace him today, that truth is for you. But if you embrace him, you must see him not only as Savior, but also as King, as Lord of your life. And live in a way that recognizes his kingship, his lordship, his control, and his dominion. The beautiful truth of the two natures of Jesus Christ. He had to be both. We confess, our Belgic tells us, these are the reasons we confess him to be true God and true man. True God in order to conquer death by his power. And true man that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. We celebrate the glories of the two natures of Christ, the one perfectly qualified to do everything necessary to save us, his people. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are amazed at you, at who you are, and at the glorious work of salvation Who would have ever imagined that you would accomplish salvation by sending your own son and by sending him to become a man, to take on the form of a servant? Lord God, we will never never cease to be amazed at what you have done for us. And so we recognize Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the one who completely saves us from all of our sins, and we recognize him as King and Lord of our lives. Lord God, make us live that truth out every day of our life. For you have revealed to us the glories of salvation and the glories of your Son. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing together from number 378 in the Trinity Psalter. 378. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. From the fight returned victorious. Every knee to him shall bow. Crown him, crown him, crowns before the victor's brow. Hark, those bursts of acclamation. Hark, those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy the sight affords. Crown him, crown him, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's sing all four verses, 378. Let's stand together as we sing. Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.